0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, the Texans reverted back to the turnover machine from the takeaway Texans that we saw earlier in the preseason. We'll look at their last preseason tune-up. And then later in the show, I'll give you my plan to keep Carlos Correa. And we welcome back an Astros MVP candidate this week, along with an Astros playoff legend. Before I fire things up, we're excited to tell you that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. You're going to want to hear about our exclusive discount for all you fans of the show. And as always, I'm joined by my co host and regular sidekick, a fellow H Town sports junkie, and veteran journalist Stephen Kerr. And, Stephen, the Texans defense faced a real starting quarterback and a real offense and this is pretty much what I expected from them this year.
1: Yeah, well, I just knew it, it's like it it wouldn't take long for us to crash back down to earth, Robert, even in the preseason. Tom Brady looked uh, pretty much like he was in mid-season form and yeah, he was a Super Bowl quarterback, not just a starting quarterback. So, I mean, it it went pretty much as I expected. The 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 defense, you know, they they had a, a couple of mishaps certainly, um, and, and they do well against backup quarterbacks. We can at least say that. But now that it's for real, uh, you're not going to be facing too many backup quarterbacks unless there are injuries involved. So yeah, it's starting to we're we're crashing back down to earth now. It's it's
0: real time now. Tom Brady, his offense had three possessions, two touchdowns. They walked it down the field a couple of times. He was 11 for 14, 154 yards barely looked like he broke a sweat. And as soon as Brady was replaced by Blaine Gabbert, the Texans, boom, get a Charles amenahu sack, a Terrence Brooks interception and a bad snap safety. But that's not who they're going to face when it comes to the regular season. They don't get a lot of Blaine <laughs> Gabbert's on the schedule.
1: Yeah. Wait, Blaine Gabbert is still in the league. I, I, that's what surprised me. But I, I will say though, that, you know, the Texas defense still had some bright spots, uh, they still looked good against the run. I mean, if you know, if you could just get the pass rush uh, completely consistent, you know, against real starting quarterbacks like Tom Brady, then you've really got something. Um, but yeah, it, it was certainly a more realistic look, I
0: think. And what we're going
1: to see for the Texans throughout the season, unfortunately.
0: Late in the game, Demarcus Walker got a sack and a forced fumble. Vincent Taylor recovers that. So you said there were moments. There were moments, but most of them were after Tom Brady left the game. The best-looking Texans rookie for the entire preseason, in my opinion, my humble opinion, defensive tackle Roy Lopez, the sixth-round pick, had a sack in all three preseason games. He looks like he's ready to go.
1: Yeah, he certainly does. And then you add in the fact that Charles Amenehue, I mean, he looks poised to have a breakout season. I mean, Levy Smith's defense is looking really, really good with some of these guys. I think that, you know, if it just goes to show, Robert, if you put people in the right roles, they can succeed. And you look at Roy Lopez. I mean, they were talking about him all throughout camp and how great he was looking. But I don't t- put too much stock in that until I see them on the field. Well, we've seen him on the field in all three preseason games. And he definitely looks like he's ready to go. So, you know, you've got him, you've got Walker, you've got Charles Amenehue. I really like the front side of this Texans defense. Really, really like the scheme and the players that they're putting into the roles of that scheme. You know, but again, the the regular season is coming, so we'll just have to see how it really plays out. But you you can't help but be impressed with the defense. Certainly, it's got to be ahead of the offense at this point, like
0: markedly so. Not only did the Texans face a more real offense, they faced a more real defense. Let's start with Tyrod Taylor. And what did you think, Stephen? He was six for nine, 31 yards, nothing spectacular. Sacked once, fumbled once. We know that David Cully was not happy about the fumble.
1: No, he certainly isn't. He's not happy about penalties and turnovers, which he shouldn't be. Well, I mean, look, the Texans are going to get what they get from Tyrod Taylor. You know, he's, I, I mean, I'd say an average, but... The big thing for me is, can he stay healthy? Because if he can't, then you're going to be dipping into Davis Mills. And, you know, I know that Deshaun Watson may be the third string and he may not be. Who knows? But, you know, after Tyrod Taylor, it, it becomes even more iffy. But, I mean, he hasn't looked that impressive during the preseason. But then again, he hasn't seen a whole lot of action. So it's it's hard to tell. But I, I'm not expecting great things from him.
0: I'm just hoping he can stay healthy through a whole season For me, that's a stretch. Davis Mills, 10 for 27, 106 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, that's great against, you know, the second, third stringers with Tampa Bay. So do with that what you will, but three interceptions and a fumble, a 34.4 passer rating. I'm just going to go back to what I said months ago. Davis Mills, waste of a pick, dumb move by Casario. Told you so, told you so, told you so.
1: Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, it's still a very, very small sample size. I know, uh, yeah, he, he definitely reverted to back to where when camp first began. I mean, he was throwing picks left and right. I think, unfortunately, Robert, this is what you're going to see with a guy that has so little college experience. I mean, it just it is, And that's why I'm so worried that if Tyrod Taylor goes down, Davis Mills is going to be your next man up. I mean, let's be honest. That, that's what they're trying to groom him for. He's going to be in the regular season where he's going to be playing against starting defenses. He's not going to have third and fourth stringers to make mistakes on. But even as you saw in the Tampa Bay game, he he still made mistakes with backup defenses in there. So it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. But at the same time, you know, I, I think it's still too early to say that, yes, it's another Texans third round pick. That's a bust, but it does not look good. Let's be honest about it.
0: The running game looked better. That was a positive, I guess. But the problem with the Texans on offense is, I have no idea what to expect because we have not seen Laramie Tunsil. We have not seen Marcus Cannon. I mean, are they going to play the first week? I mean, they got two more weeks to get ready. I mean, I hear rumors that they're possibly going to be ready, but who knows? I mean, I don't know what to think of this offensive line. The running backs are okay. There's a couple of guys that have shown something. I mean, I've been more impressed maybe with the guys at the back end, the guys like Buddy Howell and some of those guys rather than the, the top end guys, but at the same time, I, I just I have I have no idea what to expect from this offense, especially from the running game, because we haven't seen a real offensive line out there throughout the preseason.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it just seems like the same old storyline. I mean, we keep coming back to this year after year. It's the offensive line that is the biggest question mark now. And I, I mean, yeah, the running game was certainly. It, I think it, it's definitely better than it was last year, at least from what we saw in the preseason. But, you know, the, the red zone problems continue, and that's where your offensive line is, is going to come into play, especially in short-yarded situations. Yeah, you had a long, long 18-play, 10-minute drive, but guess what? You came away with no points. I mean, that is absolutely unacceptable. You cannot possibly go through the regular season to have that. You can have all the ball control you want, but you've still got to come away with points. So the running game, while it's looked better, You've still got to convert, you know, on third down situations, red zone situations, and the passing game, you know, needs to help you with that. And the offensive line just, yeah, you don't know who you're going to put out there from week to week. And it's very difficult to get that kind of consistency if your running game is going to be consistently good. And that's what the Texans are are facing at this point.
0: Yeah, if you want to go over some of the numbers from the Texans running game this week, and like I said, it was better. I mean, you saw some averages that were a lot more acceptable scotty phillips uh he was one of those guys i was talking about 9.1 yard average per carry eight carry 73 yards he had a 34 yard run looked good uh in this one uh, mark ingram who's a guy that you're going to depend on four yards a carry nothing great but i mean geez four yards uh the way the texans have run the ball the last few years that looks yeah. pretty good but uh, I, buddy Hall. He had a big run that got negated because of a stupid Kiki QT penalty, but Buddy Howell just shows juice and you 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 wonder like if, if he was actually given a real chance and his name wasn't Buddy Howell, you wonder what he could do. Now, one thing that you mentioned is they didn't come away with points, but Stephen, we know that they would have come away with points if Kaimi Fairbairn was healthy. The problem was Justin Reed was your field goal kicker, so they weren't going to kick field goals when they were in the well, red no, zone.
1: That, right? no, that's understandable. <laughs> you're right, but... Really, if a drive is that long, you've got to come away with touchdowns. But you're right. Um, Kaimi Fairbairn, they held him out, you know, as a precaution, which was the right thing to do. And it is preseason. It gave him a chance to do some fourth down plays. But, yeah, it's still very disturbing, though, when, you know,
0: you want to come away with seven points if you're going to hold the ball that long. Trader Nick was at it again. He had a big week, Stephen. Yesterday, he sent linebacker Shaq Lawson to the Jets for the 49ers sixth round pick the Jets own the 49ers sixth round pick so that means that Shaq Lawson was traded for Bernardrick McKinney and the Texans get a sixth round pick for their starting middle linebacker the last few years Bernardrick McKinney what did you think of all that and all that shuffling
1: well as far as Shaq Lawson I mean he's been disappointing so I'm not too surprised that they actually traded him and that they actually got something for him I think you and I have been joking, Robert, the, the last couple of weeks with all the trades the Texans have made with the lower round picks. They seem to have this this love, this affinity for late round picks, sixth, seventh round picks. Uh, they trade some, they get some back. So, you know, Shaq Lawson just add him to the list of, of what is becoming a pretty long one of uh, you know either getting rid of and, and just replacing these late round picks. I mean, Nick Casario just seems to have a knack for this kind of thing.
0: If you remember John Reed, who barely played a snap last year, he was a fourth-round pick for the Texans. Uh, Then he gets traded for a seventh-round pick. Speaking of what you're talking about, uh, thanks again, Bill O'Brien, for that garbage. You gave us a fourth-round pick and turned it into a seventh-round pick. And then Casario trades a seventh-round pick. So I don't know if it was that same seventh-round I don't know. There's so many sixth- and seventh-round picks. It's getting
1: confusing now.
0: I don't know what's going on, but basically – they trade a seventh-round pick to the Packers for Kadar Holman, who started one game in two years in the NFL to this point. He was a former sixth-round pick who didn't play his rookie year in Green Bay, played 11% of Green Bay's snaps last year. I guess they're hoping he's going to be something. And it's worth noting, Steven, that in week one, the Texans' best cornerback is not going to be starting or playing for that matter. Bradley Roby, remember, he still has that suspension due. So he's got one game left on it. So no Bradley Roby in game one against Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and that's, you know, obviously that's going to play into how the roster shakes out with the final 53 man. And, you know, that's going to have to change after the first week because he'll be reactivated. So, yeah, it, it's interesting. I had totally forgotten about that until I think deeper into the preseason, you know, and then I realized, well, oh wait, he's got that one game that he still has to serve, so uh that's going to be interesting when you're when you're making final cuts, you know things like that come into
0: play, yeah, well, you and I are speaking at about ten twenty as at the very moment, and it's ten twenty on Monday morning, so we are we are not seeing yet uh Texan's cuts, so that may right. be happening right. any second by the time people listen to this, they may know. <laughs> who the Texans have decided to release. But um, I I don't know if there's going to be anybody that could be a surprise because there's just not a lot of guys on this team that you're like, oh, well, if he's gone, oh, my goodness, that's a big deal.
1: Well, (laughs) I think um, what you're going to see, though, Robert, because you've got two weeks between now – well, less than two weeks, I guess – between now and the regular season opener, even your final 53-man roster is probably still going to undergo some things. You know, you've got I, I, the wide receiver position. You've got two guys. You've got Andre Roberts, and you've got Anthony Miller that are probably going to be on injured reserve, or or at least, you know, they're they're not going to be playing anytime soon. So the Texans may have to grab some waiver wire players. You know, Casario, you know, Trader Nick, maybe doing some more wheeling and dealing to try to shore up that and some of the other positions. So even when we see the fifty three man roster by Tuesday, I'm not so sure that it's going to remain exactly the same
0: between now and September 12th. I guess you could say Laramie Tunsil has a chance at a Pro Bowl this year. Maybe you could put some money in Vegas on a Laramie Tunsil making a Pro Bowl, but I'm going to give you the lock of all locks for Texans Pro Bowlers this year. Can you have... All right. Can you have a stab at it steven do you have a guess as to who the lock for the texans pro bowl will be this year oh boy yeah that is going to be a bit of a stretch you want me to jump in with this because i it, you're it, this is not going to be a surprise once i tell you their punter their punter is going to be a pro bowler no yeah, doubt
1: johnston cam johnston Well, no that's that's not a bad day you know what i i wouldn't be surprised if, if charles omeny has a breakout season i could see him being a pro bowler but cam johnston's a good choice i mean yeah, you know, he has done very, very well. In fact, the whole Texans special teams, I think, has done very well this preseason. But Cam Johnston, yeah, you cannot argue with the success that he's done. And it's not just his length. You know, it's getting getting kicks inside the 20 and, and just the, the placement. Yeah, I really like Cam Johnston.
0: So that leads me into this because we are two weeks away from the first game with the Texans. And should you lay some money with or against the Texans in that game, With our friends over at BetUS.com, the Texans three-point underdogs at home against Jacksonville, Stephen. They're three-point underdogs at home, but the Jags, they're starting Trevor Lawrence. He's a rookie. He's a rookie QB on the road. And Stephen, I I believe rookie quarterbacks in general, uh, they haven't won their first NFL game in the last 11 shots that they've had. As a rookie, so what do you do there? What do you do if you're uh, putting some money on this one? Do you, do, you, do you want to bet on Trevor Lawrence? Do you want to bet on Urban Meyer?
1: Uh, boy, that's going to be a tough one because, you know, they are playing the Texans. So wouldn't you know, that would be the, the Texans would be the team that would make history for say. So it's only three points, huh? I, I For some reason, I thought it would be more just because everybody's picking the Texans one in 16.
0: So, uh, yeah, I'd probably go ahead and take the three the over under on the Texans I think is around three games I'm gonna to have to do some more research on w- where they are on that so three wins oh, I say three games three wins for the season um that that's something that uh, that's good. that'd be a tough tough one i I don't know what to expect you feel like that with 17 games now three wins is not that big of an expectation because the ball just bounces in in, in the NFL some weeks and and don't forget that there's only maybe 10 or 12 possessions in an NFL game. So it, it doesn't take much for a b- ball to bounce your way and to get a win. And if if you can get turnovers like they've gotten turnovers in the preseason, you know, that that helps you too. And turnovers matter.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, Robert. I, I mean, you know, everybody's picking the Texans, I think from one to three wins. Sports Illustrated, I think, hasn't gone one in 16. You know, honestly, if if, if the Texans win five games, Six games, that's a—man, I'd be really shocked. That'd be a great season for me. I don't know if you can really say great when you're 6-11. and But, but yeah, a bounce of a ball here, a a possession there, and the way the Texans' defense has been playing, it's really not that inconceivable that they could make the difference with several wins of this Texans team, especially if the game is close. And you know what? If the Texans could just keep it close, then— Anything can happen. I mean, anything.
0: And if you're going to lay a few dollars on the Texans, do it with our new partner, BetUS.com, because you might as well find a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. It's not just football. They'll take action on just about any sport. They've been a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades with a diehard customer fan base. Great mobile platform, too. It's easy with full betting options. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800 792 3,887, that's 879 seven nine bet us And here's how we can save you money when you do it. When you sign up, use our promo code HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. So you do the math. That's pretty good. Again, that code HST125 to help our podcast. You just do it by signing either, you're using either the BetUS link on our pinned post at the top of our Twitter page, or go to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net and click on the bet us icon it's that easy just follow my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did bet us you bet you win you get paid
1: oh boy the Astros yeah they continue to be you know you don't know whether to bet for them against them um <laughs> Robert I don't know I'm just I'm at a loss I mean they they've actually you know, they had a four-game winning streak until the Rangers came along. But, yeah, if you put bets that the Astros were going to sweep that series,
0: oh, boy, you'd been very disappointed. The big story is kind of Alex Bregman this week, would you say? But, Stephen, is the biggest story for the Astros, if you're being honest, the last three outings by Framber Valdez, isn't he the most important Astro if we're seriously trying to win the World Series?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think we you know, when we were talking last week about who the ace should be, we were talking about Grinky mostly, and Frommer Valdez is still he's gotta be your ace. I mean, there's no question about it. When Fromber is on, this team virtually can't be stopped. When he's not, then you really start to worry because I mean the the depth of the starting rotation is already questionable at best. So when Frommer's on, like he has been the last several games, it gives me a lot more confidence that the Astros can go deeper into the playoffs
0: than if he starts struggling. Zach Granke looked awful on Sunday, as everybody saw. It's a rare outing for Zach Granke. I get it. But when you heard from Zach Granke after the game, he thought he he pitched well. He thought he was doing okay. He just said the other team was on. This is the Rangers, a a team that's 32 games out from the Astros, and he thought he was on. So that leads me into this, Stephen, and I want you to agree or disagree with what I'm about to tell you. Assuming Jose Urquidy is back to form and he's looking good in his rehab starts, I would not have Zach Greinke as a playoff starter. He just doesn't miss bats anymore. He doesn't. The numbers show it. That matters in the playoffs. This is my rotation. Fromber, McCullers, Garcia, Urkiti. What do you think? Uh,
1: I don't think you're going to see Grinky coming
0: out of the bullpen. I, I
1: don't know how you can say that he would be any better coming out of the bullpen than he would be as a starter.
0: It's the, the thing is, I just, it, it, that's what they're going to do because his name is Zach Grinky, It's what's on the back of his Jersey. But if we're, if we're trying to win the world series, Zach Grinke as a starter, just it, he's not good enough. And I don't trust him enough in those situations. I Arquiti misses bats. You know, he's good at that. And Arkady has been clutch in the playoffs for the most part as an Astro. I mean, I know he hasn't pitched a lot this year with the injuries, but I just, I, I trust Arkady when you're going up against these teams that have guys up and down their lineup, that if they do put the bat to the baseball, which they're going to do with Zach Granke, those guys do damage. And Urkiti is more likely to make guys miss and, and do that. Those sorts of things. The other thing about uh, Jose Arquiti is he gets gets you on and off the field quickly. He's getting guys out so quickly in the minor leagues that they're sending him to the bullpen to get some extra work in after the three or four (laughs) innings that he's scheduled to pitch because he's Jose Arquiti. He's just like... Oh, I don't know. It's not going to take me like fifty or eighty pitches to get through four innings, like say a Lance McCullers, for instance.
1: <laughs> no, oh, I totally agree with you, I, and I'm not dissing Jose Arcidi at all. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I want I want Urquidy in that starting rotation, but I think what what's more likely to happen, you know, is you you've got him and you've got Grinky with that playoff experience, and and the way I, I just think Luis Garcia, if you have got to put somebody in the bullpen, you'd hate to do it but he would be more suited to come out of the bullpen than certainly would Grinky. But you're right about Jose Urquidy, absolutely. And the thing I like about Urquiti is that when he does get in trouble, he doesn't tend to just totally blow up, you know? And, and Grinky does have that occasionally, as we certainly saw on Sunday. You know, but Urquidy seems to have this ability to limit damage when there is damage, and I really like that about him. I'm just concerned about his health. I mean, I just don't know you know, we've gone through this whole season and he's had, you know, at least a couple of stints now where he's been out and, you know, this has been a pretty long one. So, I, but I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Robert. I, I can't completely argue against it, but I just think I I, I don't know that I would trust Grinky coming out of the bullpen any more than I would as a starter. That's really what I'm saying.
0: Dusty is such a back of the baseball card guy and he's so just... Old school, that I worry that Greinke is going to be the second or third guy in the rotation in the playoffs, and I just am like, no, Zach Greinke. Even if he's a starter, uh, even if he's one of your starters, he's he's my fourth guy. I I just I do not have him ahead of Fromber. I don't have him ahead of McCullers. That should be just as plain as the nose on your face. But I also don't have him like yeah. a, 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 in front of Luis Garcia, who's been rock solid in a bat-misser all season long.
1: Well, here's the good news, though, Robert, is that if you do have him as a starter and he does run into trouble or he can't go very deep, then you do have a guy like Luis Garcia who can come in and give you, you know, four or five strong innings if necessary. So that, I mean, looking at it that way, that if Grinky does get in some early trouble, you know, in, in the postseason especially, you're not going to go very deep into games anyway, most likely, unless you're just pitching a gem. So you do have that option as you've got Luis Garcia there to come out of the bullpen for you if Grinky does run into trouble. So I mean, I'm at least, you know, I feel pretty secure about that as much as anything else. But Grinky does have the ability to give you a pretty good quality start in the postseason It's just, you know, unfortunately with him, you just you don't know what you're going to get when he goes out there every game lately.
0: All right, we have the return of an Astros playoff legend uh, this week. And he has not played for the Astros in a couple of years. He has not played a game with the Astros this year. He's not on their roster. But I do not see how Marwin Gonzalez isn't on the playoff roster, Stephen, because he can come onto your roster and provide you that immediate versatility. He's a switch hitter, he plays so many different positions. You don't need as many pitchers in the playoffs as the Astros have been running out there. So I, I just see Marwin Gonzalez. As, he's on the playoff roster. I've already got him pe- penned in, not Jacob Wilson.
1: Yes. Oh, gosh, Robert. I mean, look, Marwin Gonzalez has certainly not been the player that he was when the Astros after he left. But but look, who would you rather have in his place? Rebel Garcia, uh, Jake Wilson. Uh, yeah, I'll take Marwin. I don't care what shape he's been in the past couple of years. You know, he's had some injuries and he's just had some other things going on. But look, if he could revive himself anywhere, it'd be with the Astros. Oh, I'm, absolutely. I was I was surprised, but I was also very excited when I saw that he did get a minor league. Yeah, he's in Sugarland, I believe, right? So, oh, I, I absolutely see Marwin Gonzalez in the Astros' pretty immediate future, really, of course, depending on how injuries play out. Yeah, I, I I couldn't
0: get over that. I was I was tickled to death over that. Alex Bregman is back, like we said earlier, and Bregman said on Sunday it's the best that he's ever felt. So that's a good sign. Uh, Kyle Tucker is back. The gang is coming back together. So that's exciting. Uh, I, I just have a couple of things though that I want to get off my chest with the Astros, and and uh, concerns would be a it's a little bit. Not not that big, but still, Phil Mayton has stunk. Uh, sure hope that catcher that James Click got for straw turns into something because, Stephen, May- Mayton's a bust. He has no history of being better than this. I-, I get it. He's supposed to have good stuff. He's not been good with the Astros. You look at his career and outside of the, you know, a couple months early this year with Cleveland he, he's just—he's not a good reliever, and he's not somebody I'm—I'm I'm relying on when we get into October.
1: No, I'd have to agree with you, unfortunately, Robert. He—he's definitely struggled, and I, I think you know with all the trades that they did make, you, you kind of figured, well, one of these guys—I mean, it, it would have been a stretch to say that every single one of those players they got was going to step in and make a major contribution, and unfortunately, that's just the case. Phil Maton has has not done the job. You know, thankfully. Kendall Graveman has been, you know, pretty much as advertised. I mean, he struggled a little bit the other day. I believe it was Saturday, but he got it together. But, yeah, Phil Maton, I, I was hoping to, to see something better from him. You had Rafael Montero, who you've also got in a trade that is now on the injured list. He wasn't much to speak of during the season. So, yeah, it just stands to reason. There's going to be a couple of these guys that aren't going to come through for you. But, you know, maybe as time goes on, Phil Maton can get better. But right now, he certainly isn't showing it for me. You know, going back to what you said about Bregman and getting the starters back, over the weekend, you know, it's the first time, I think, you know, since at least June that the Astros have had their first seven guys, you know, their first seven regular guys in the lineup at the same time. And I tell you what, if they could just keep it this way as we get into September, no better time to have the guys all be together
0: together and meshing as they get into the playoffs so it's great timing Robert yeah that bill that they traded for we'll see because Kendall Graveman he he definitely has been as advertised Yimmy Garcia uh he's he's okay it's not kind of average yeah yeah I'm not I'm not I'm not super excited about about him and then uh the other thing that just bugs the hell out of me uh, Brian Abreu and no disrespect to the friends and family of Brian Abreu but just because you can throw the ball hard doesn't mean you just get unlimited appearances in the big leagues. It's time to give up the ghost on Brian Abreu. What has he proven in his time with, with the Astros over the last few years? I, I, don't, I don't understand the love for him outside of, oh, he can throw the ball really hard.
1: Well, now let me preface what I'm about to say with this. I am not comparing Brian Abreu to J.R. Richard. I'm not making that mistake. But let me just say that you're, you are right because, you know, J.R. went through the same thing. He went up and down in the minors for the first several years that he came out. You know, the big thing with him is, oh, he throws the ball so hard. Now the problem is he couldn't locate it. And and Brian Abreu has had numerous chances. I'm, you know, I'm inclined to agree with you, Robert, but weren't we saying the same thing about Framber Valdez? It's like, okay, Framber Valdez, he's got such great stuff. He's electric. He can throw. Well, but when is he going to get it together? When is he going to find his command? And we finally started to see that. So, you know, the big problem for me is if you have Fromber Valdez and players like that to go on, then when do you give up on somebody like Brian Abreu?
0: I don't know what you do with him. I mean, I guess you keep hoping that he soon figures it out. The problem is he can have success in the minor leagues, and you get to the major leagues, and it's a whole different story. He might be just one of those 4A players. Anoli Paredes is another guy that they're going to hope somehow figures it out. Josh James, maybe he gets another chance this year. They got They got a bunch of these guys that are just big arms, but they can't figure it out in the major leagues. And, and you need some of these guys to start hitting because all these guys that the Astros traded for out of the bullpen, and we talked about this when they made the trades, all of them are free agents at the end of this year, and you're you're not likely to keep them.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I, honestly, Robert, when I look at situations like that, you know, Brian Abreu, Josh James. Of course, Josh James, you know, some of his issues have been injury-related. He can't stay healthy lately, and, you know, that's going to set you back no matter what you do if you, if you if you're hurt you can't contribute for anything. You, you can't even be bad. So uh, I just wonder when, when you start getting into this sort of thing, when it's consistent the way it has been with Brian Abreu, is it more between the ears than it is with the physical thing? I mean, it's, it's got to be one or the other, either there's something physical going on, you know, whether it's an injury that you can't see or, you know, tiredness or whatever, or it's mental where they just can't get it straightened out in their head to be able to have the type of command because if Brian Abreu could just have the command, you know, and it's like that really with any pitcher, then he could be a great pitcher. He's shown some flashes over the years, but you know, if you're going to stay in the majors, you've got to do it consistently. And he just has not done that.
0: And he just, he just got his butt whooped on Sunday. All right. I teased this off the top of the show. And I want to get to this because it's, it's a huge thing for this franchise. It's the biggest thing in the next few months for the franchise. And that's Carlos Correa, who's third right now in all of baseball and wins above replacement. He's third, first among everyday players. So a couple of pitchers ahead of him. And believe it or not, Wade Miley is one of those guys and he's leading the league in wins above replacement. Yeah, that Wade Miley. But (laughs) uh, Stephen, the story about Correa this week was him saying that this is as likely last year with the Astros, which made me ask the question to our Twitter crowd. And I'm going to run this by you too. The Astros only have $98 million on their 22 payroll at the moment with Granke and Verlander likely both gone. I I can't see that coming back. There are arbitration numbers that you got to factor in with several players on the team. So they're going to get some bumps in pay. So it's going to be a little bit more than $98 million, obviously. Probably, I don't know, 120, 130, I don't know. But you're not expecting huge pay raises for most of those arbitration-eligible players. So why not front load a Correa eight-year contract with even as much as 40 to $50 million in the first couple of years, say the next two seasons, the contending window ends soon anyway. Look, Altuve, Bregman, Brantley, yuli they're all aging. We've only got three three or four more years. Then you're in rebuild mode anyway. If you front-load Correa and you're not spending too much on him on that back end when he's in his mid-30s, if he would agree to that kind of contract... You then have somebody that when you are declining, it's a contract that you can unload, but it's not going to be a contract that weighs down your franchise. I I just see this is the way to do this. If you're the Astros, we've never seen it in major league baseball to my memory. um, But it it sure would make sense. Robert, if I didn't know you any better, I'd
1: say you're studying to be one of those uh, salary cap analysts, you know, that that the NBA might be looking for. I mean, you're you're crunching those numbers, man. I'm impressed. I and I'm not just being facetious. I'm I'm serious. That's brilliant. I love it. Um, I, I mean, I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm just afraid. You know, look, it, it's not a good sign when your starting shortstop says this is probably my last year with the team, and we're not even into September yet. Uh, you know, Carlos Correa is just looking for a mega deal, like the kind that you you're probably going to see and already have seen. I I just, as much as I hate to say it, I I mean, I think it's a brilliant strategy on your part but I'm I'm just afraid that you know the Astros have already closed that window where Correa is concerned when they tried to do it before the season started it was obvious he wasn't going to take it and now you've got him saying yep I'm, I'm probably not going to be with the team ne- next year so let's close this on a good note but man I can't argue with that
0: absolutely can't and my financial skills are are not the best but f- from my understanding if you are a human being that is trying to get some money, the best thing for you to get more money is to get the money up front a- a- yeah. as soon as you can yeah. because then you start making a lot more money on interest quicker than you would if you're waiting to get that money into your bank account, right?
1: Well, that's right. And the other thing to consider, Robert, is you know if you do a long-term deal with Carlos Correa – I know the last couple of years he's he's been relatively healthy, but you know, he went through that period with back injuries and things that we, you know, you and I even discussed it. Is it worth a long-term deal, you know, when you have something like that happen? So if you are gonna do that, isn't it better to front load it like you suggested and, and get the bulk of that up front the next two or three years, especially if he starts having those same injury issues that are gonna make his performance go down, make his durability factor and reliability go down. So it would absolutely make sense to front load it like you suggested.
0: I just don't see how this works for Correa to go somewhere else in a good way because you, the Yankees aren't going to have the money because they've spent so much. They've got so many big contracts. I mean, maybe they can massage it somehow and figure out a way to sign him, but it's going to be hard for the Yankees. The Dodgers just traded for Trade Turner, and he's on the books for them next year. The Cubs, another big market. Uh, they're they're in rebuild mode. Uh if you look at the Red Sox, I don't know, Xander Bogarts is their starting shortstop. Do they need? Do they do they want Correa? Does that make a major impact for somebody like the Red Sox? The the team that you hear most often now is the Texas Rangers. That team that's 32 <laughs> games in the rearview mirror of the Astros. If you're Carlos Correa, yeah, money talks. It doesn't matter in 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 any sport, you know, what's the most money that I can make? But if you're Carlos Correa, do you want to sign the death knell of your career and the end of being a competitor for division championships and World Series by going to the Rangers in the next few years? Because that team looks like they're in for a big uphill rebuild. And that's the one team that I'm hearing most often in, in, in conjunction with him.
1: Well, I mean, Alex Rodriguez did it. So I guess, you know, anything is possible, but you're right. I, I, and here's the thing is if, if what you say is true actually comes about, Carlos Correa is going to look pretty bad about what he said, you know, because then he's going to have to come back and say, "Okay, well, maybe I'll reconsider this and we can talk about front loading or whatever, you know, that the Astros might be willing to do. You know, that's why I just think, you know, what he said over the weekend wasn't really that necessary because anything could happen in the offseason. you got all these other shortstops that are coming up. Not everybody is going to get that kind of a payday, I don't think. And so, yeah, the Rangers, boy. I don't think they were quite this bad when Alex Rodriguez dinked his deal. They weren't that great. But, yeah, is that who you're going to go to? I don't see it. If he does, then it's obvious that he's doing it for the money and for no other reason, certainly. So, yeah, this is going to be an interesting scenario that when the offseason gets here, uh, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But Correa may have painted himself in a corner if that is indeed what's going to happen.
0: That's what's w- what our conversation is going to be about as the future of the Astros unfolds here in the next few weeks. It's going to be a constant conversation, but let's go back into the past a little bit and go into this week in Astros history, Stephen. What do you got?
1: Well, there is certainly a lot, Robert. And, you know, as it's interesting timing about this one because Hurricane Ida is certainly wreaking havoc on Louisiana and, uh, you know, the Gulf Coast. Well... It was only four years ago, believe it or not, around this time that Houston was having to deal with Hurricane Harvey, Robert. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but man, uh, four years ago, it was August 27th that the Astros were unable to return home because of Hurricane Harvey plowing into the area. They had to fly to Arlington briefly before going to St. Petersburg, Florida, where their home series with the Rangers had to be relocated. So that was four years ago. And, you know, I don't know, Ida's not done yet. So interesting timing for this one.
0: There was another thing that happened four years ago this week, Uh, Stephen, and I I know you got to be getting to this because it's, it's might be the biggest thing that ever happened to the Houston Astros franchise. and, And it's the reason why they won that World Series.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, Robert. It was, of course, it was the 31st which I guess would be tomorrow, uh, you know, as we're recording this. We're recording this on Monday. So, yep, on the 31st, it was the deal that absolutely, I I can say it with pretty much with confidence, Robert, if the Astros hadn't gotten Justin Verlander at that last second, literally last second deal, uh, there would probably not be a World Series title. And then, gosh, you know, would we even be talking about the cheating scandal? Yeah, probably, (laughs) unfortunately. But we wouldn't even have a World Series title to talk about with it if the Astros had not gotten Justin Verlander in that
0: massive trade deadline. Oh, my favorite part of that whole story with Justin Verlander was, uh, we talked about it with Ben Ryder a few years ago in the podcast, but the Verlander trade, you know, that was when Jeff Luno was at the field where the bad news bears was shot. And that's when he made the deal For just, he was on the phone with the Tigers about the Justin Verlander thing. And I mean, there's so much to that Verlander trade that you you just got to go back and find the Ben Ryder interview from a few years ago because it was just so fantastic. But yeah, the Verlander trade, no, no question. It is the biggest trade in Astros history.
1: You know, if they didn't have that second trade deadline, which of course they don't now, oh my, I don't even want to think about that, Robert. But let's move forward to August 27th of 2006. Remember Willie Tavares? Well, Willie Tavares set a new Astros record with a 30-game hitting streak. The Astros clobbered the Pirates that day, 13 to one. But Willie Tavares was the story that day, Robert. And you know, it, it's a name you don't think about a whole lot, but
0: certainly, you know, he made some contributions in Astros history, and that was one of them. I guess about 26 of those 30 games, he was getting bunt single hits. I don't, I don't know how Willie Tavares does that. <laughs> I don't even think he had any home runs during that period. Yeah, Willie Tavares was certainly
1: the kind of guy that, you know, with his speed, he got a lot of infield hits. But, you know, 30-game hitting streak, I don't care how you get it. That's a lot. Not quite what Joe DiMaggio
0: did with his fifty-six game, but it's pretty darn good. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio, Willie Tavares, same guy, basically. Yeah, same guy.
1: August twenty-third, 1992, the Astros concluded a 26-game, 28-day road trip they beat the Phillies three to one at Veterans Stadium on that final game. The team went twelve and fourteen on the trip. And you may remember, Robert, you know, you know why that trip was necessitated? It was by the Republican National Convention being held at the Astrodome that year. So the Astros had to go on this ridiculously long it was what was it about a month basically a long a month-long road trip
0: boy i don't even remember any of that you know i was not in houston when that happened but that's like one of those san antonio circus road trips that the spurs always have to do
1: well that's right and you know there were times you know it, especially like if the rodeo came to town or something you know thank goodness it's usually what in february so you don't have to worry about it but if it were later in the in the spring or summer then uh, yeah the astros would Probably would have had to do that when it was in the Astrodome back then, so yeah, a month long road trip practically unheard of, and you know they finished twelve and fourteen, which I'd say for the being on the road, not half bad well august twenty third of nineteen eighty the Astros beat the Cubs one to nothing in seventeen innings at the Astrodome, big deal, right? Well, the winning hit came from none other than Joe Ne. He batted for himself because the Astros had run out of pitchers by that point. Nicaro hit a walk-off single. Well, you you won't see that now unless, of course, you go to a National League ballpark and the pitchers have to bat. But, uh, man, I'd totally forgotten about this one, Robert.
0: Joe Nicaro with a walk-off single. I was at the Astros game when Mike Scott had a walk-off 12th inning sacrifice fly against the Dodgers on a Sunday. And that Sunday was the day after they had just done what was it, a twenty-four inning game, I think, against the Dodgers. They yeah. had beaten them then so they yeah. went back to back with a twenty four and a twelve inning game. And Mike Scott ends up coming in relief and gets the walk off sack fly. So, you know, he's he's not Joe Negro as a hitter, but Scotty came through with him for that <laughs> came through four for him at, at that point. So that that was a good one.
1: You know, I guess if you could say anything about the pitchers being allowed to hit, uh, it, this is a very minor thing. But you know, sometimes they can actually do some surprising things. You know, you see some Astros pitchers that hit home runs during their history and things like that. But yeah, I'll still take the designated hitter rule in both leagues. That's what I want. My final this day in Astros history occurred on August 25th, 1972. Oh yeah, the toy cannon man. I just oh, I'm so upset that he's no longer with us because he made so many great memories and this is one of them he becomes the first astro to hit 200 home runs he did it in a 4 to 3 loss to the Montreal Ex- Expos in the Astrodome
0: but Jimmy Wynn the first astro to get to 200 home runs we miss Jimmy Wynn we also miss the Montreal Expos i missed the Montreal Expos <laughs> great great hat great uh, city, uh, terrible ballpark, but it was, yeah. you know, it was a fun franchise because they produced some great players from Andre Dawson to Pedro Martinez. Uh, Tim Wallach was a really underrated third baseman. Of course, Gary Carter, one of the great catchers of the last half century. So, I mean, the Montreal Expos were, were fun. And of course, boy, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to our tribute to Jimmy Wynn. We have an interview with him. Greg Lucas talks about his career. If you can't run across it in our podcast feed, for sure you just look it up up on my YouTube channel. It's it's up there, but just look for Jimmy Wynn memories and I'm sure uh, you'll run across it. But yeah, Jimmy Wynn uh, just such a nice person too. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, made so many great memories with the Astros. So, I I'm
1: sure, you know, we'll we'll be talking a lot more about the Toy Cannon as we do this this little feature that we do each week, which I really enjoy. And I know you do too, Robert. So that's what I have this week in Astros
0: history, quite a bit going on. Fantastic stuff with this week in Astros history, looking forward to doing that next week. And before we get out of here, I'm not sure if this story has been in people's purview. It's a little bit under the radar, but I think it's a huge, huge deal, both for Houston high school basketball and for NBA fans. So, Stephen, this week, the new Overtime Elite League signed their second Houston area player. Tyler Smith, who would have been a junior this year and is ranked eighth in his class, is leaving Bush High School and joining top 50 recruit Bryce Griggs, who would have been a senior at Hightower. So this is two Houston high school kids who are joining this league. It's a league that allows athletes to take classes to complete their high school degree while training and playing with some of the best players in the country, players in the league get a minimum salary of $100,000 per year, plus bonuses and shares of equity in the company. Again, this is overtime elite. Remember that because it's going to be a big deal. Tyler Smith signed a two-year, seven-figure contract. So, Stephen, he's the 16th high school player to sign with the league and the seventh five-star recruit to join Overtime Elite. This is a big deal. This is a big deal if you're a basketball player. I mean, my goodness, are you talking,
1: you said $100,000. I did not hear that wrong.
0: That is correct.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, gosh, I wish I was, you know, in high school again, I'm a basketball player, Robert. I'd be uh, I'd be begging to get on a team like that. And, hey, it's another thing that Houston can be known for, and maybe we should write down some of these names because, who knows? We may be hearing him in the NBA very, very soon if they're that good.
0: I've seen Bryce Big, Briggs play. He's he's maybe a little bit overrated, a top 50 guy. But Bryce Griggs is a story here in Houston. And, of course, Tyler Smith, he's bigger than Bryce Griggs. I mean, this is one of the best players in his class. The overtime elite players compete both within the league and against domestic and international teams. Steven, every player receives full health care and disability insurance, uh, they're also guaranteed payment of up to $100,000 for college tuition if they decide not to go pro. So they cover these kids. Also, besides their regular education, they get courses on financial literacy, media training, and the business of basketball. And here's the thing that's important to note. This league is being funded by Jeff Bezos, Drake, oh uh, more than 25 NBA players, including Trey Young, Devin Booker, and Paul Gasol, so they've got a big, nice backing behind this thing. This is this is the real deal.
1: All right, so here's my question: Is this going to be the final death knell for college basketball? <laughs> because you know, man, this is just another thing that these guys have another option that they can use. And don't you know, minor league baseball players are
0: really jealous about this. The thing is, the NCAA, and I've said it in the past, the NCAA have sat on their hands, they've screwed the pooch so many times, and now the G League, you've got this. I mean, the the rug is being pulled out from under the NCAA as far as the best players. I mean, you're still going to have the tournament. You're still going to have fun college basketball in the postseason with the 64, but you're not likely soon to have the guys that you used to get in college the way it's been in the past. And I mean, mean, maybe some of these guys end up still going to college. I don't know how, how this whole thing works, but I'm telling you, the NCA messed this up so big and and it's going to cost them. And the goose that laid the golden egg has, has left the building for, I think the NCA to a degree, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the tournament's still going to, you know, garner as much money from the networks, but uh, you know, that's going to be interesting to see. Well, and, and you know who I feel most sorry for Robert, are the college basketball coaches that that
1: have to deal with this whole thing, it affects their recruiting, it affects even trying to get a long term plan going down the road. You can't plan for more than one year. I mean, you have to obviously, because some some of these players they're they're coming and going in a year. So, yeah, I mean, in one way, it's great for the players. Certainly, you have options. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, when you're talking about the college experience and the NCAA, I mean, is it any surprise that the NCAA has let this, all this happen? Not really. But boy, it's an interesting thing that the elite, you know, overtime elite got to keep an eye on it because it's just another option that these guys have. And boy,
0: what a great option is it is. is! I'd <laughs> Sign me up, man. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, uh, he's got some money. So they've got all sorts of backing. It's, it's going to be set in Atlanta. They've going to have the, they're going to have this big facility there. They're really going to do this thing up nice. So if you're into basketball, this is what you might be following. I don't know if they're going to have these games on YouTube or where they're going to be airing this stuff, but I'm sure it's going to be out there for everybody to see, and it, it's something to keep your eye on. But that's all we got for this one. I'm, I just want to wrap it up by reminding everybody that again, we're brought to you by Betus.com, America's favorite sports book. When you use it, use the code HST125, HST125 to redeem a 125% signup bonus on your initial hundred-dollar deposit. If you forget. Just look for the promo code in the show description and to help our podcast sign up by using either the bet us link on our pinned Twitter post at the top of our page, or go to our website, Houstonsportstalk.net and click on bet us on the right side of the page. If you're online, if you're on your phone, it's probably near the bottom as you're scrolling down, but just look for that big bet us sign. It's really easy to find. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us again today. And until next time,